Alright, today we're going to continue our examination of the rhetorical triangle. Last time we looked at the three vertices of the triangle, message, speaker, and audience. And now we're going to continue looking at that with those three vertices still in place. But we're going to see how they interrelate with what we call the Aristotelian appeals. Those are sort of argument modes or um, ways in which we can argue and or persuade someone. And they connect with the three vertices in their own way. So quick review of what we've got on the triangle already. We've got subject or message or the content, the text of the piece. What is being said as one of the three vertices. We have the speaker or the writer. Uh, we also talked in that section about persona the so-called mask that they wear while presenting that message. And then audience, which is reader or listener, the people being spoken to. And those things all put together lead to intention or purpose. Um, you can imagine that around the triangle is the context or situation for the piece. But let's turn to those three vertices again. Um, as there are three vertices of the rhetorical triangle, uh, message, speaker, audience, we also have three appeals. And in their original Greek, they are logos, ethos, pathos, or pathos. And they connect with the three vertices in the same sense that uh, message, speaker, and audience do. Let's first look at Logos. Logos is connected to the subject matter, or the, the message, the text. Logos is translated as logical reasoning. It's what we hope arguments are fundamentally based upon. We, we hope that the text of the message, that what you are saying is, in fact, logical, and it is, it's sensible that it has some sort of intellectual merit, and it, it follows logically one thing to another. Um, logic is reason. It can be expressed through statistics. It can be expressed through facts. Uh, but it doesn't have to be just that. It can also be a chain of reasoning. That is to say, uh, start with premise A, and argue successfully that if premise A is true, then result B must also be true. But it's, but it's logical. It's based on the intellect. It's based on what can be proven. And because of that, we put that in the message section. So logos and message, reason, logic, the content of the argument, or, or even the argument itself, are connected ideas. So if you have your triangle, wherever you have your message vertice should also be logos, logic. Moving to speaker and writer, or speaker or writer, that's where we have ethos. Now, ethos is, uh, you could argue it's credibility. You could argue it's character. Uh, you can tell because of the word ethos, it has something to do with ethics. But the speaker, the person delivering the piece, or the writer, 
is trying to establish a sense of trustworthiness. That is to say, they can be believed, they're credible. Now, there are many different ways that writers or speakers establish credibility. Um, they can do so with actual credentials. I mean, the word credential is part of credibility. They can say, they can have a title, like I'm a doctor, or I'm an expert, or I have this training, and it can be proven through the, these degrees here. So that's a very basic way to establish credibility, just have credentials. Um, but another way is in the quality of writing or the quality of speaking. As you're well aware, you will be doing your college applications soon, if you haven't already done them. And as part of your college application, you'll have your personal statement or whatever other essays your college requires, if they require any. And it must have occurred to you by now that it seems odd, especially if you're going into, say, a STEM field, or you're going into, you're getting an engineer. Why should my application be based in part, however small, on my ability to write? I'm going to be an engineer, so my ability to write really shouldn't be all that important. Well, for good or for bad, we decide that a student is capable, in part, based on how well they write. That, that establishes their sort of overall academic credentials. And you can argue, well, that's not fair. A mathematician shouldn't, can't be expected to write as well as a person going into the humanities. But for whatever reason, we've decided a good writer is a good thinker. Oh, and that applies here to rhetoric as well. Someone who can write well, or if it's a spoken piece, who can speak well, we must think that they are, they know what they're talking about, or they know what they're writing about. So aside from credentials, aside from titles or, or experience, which is of course a way to establish our credibility, we can do so through simple strength of writing. Because you're writing either very precisely or you have a very sophisticated tone or air to you, that sort of thing. Okay, so your, your credentials, your, your maybe your track record, these things establish credibility. So does your writing ability itself. Okay. You can also establish a credibility through the method we call transfer. Um, you can be associated with something that is credible. If uh, I want to appear patriotic, I can either uh, have my credentials. I can say I was in the armed forces and I am therefore patriotic for that reason. I can act in a patriotic manner. I can, I can do things that are very American. Or I can try and borrow patriotism from something that is itself patriotic, such as the American flag. I can wear a flag pin on my lapel and, and the credibility of the flag is then transferred onto me. Now, obviously, you can't do that in writing. You can't just draw an American flag and say, there you go, I'm credible. But if you refer to others who are themselves credible, you get to borrow some of that yourself. So that's all under the idea of ethos. And it's in the speaker or writer section. Now, finally, the audience. The audience is where we would put pathos. Okay, and that's which is sort of a an emotional or, or or maybe we could say passion section. In this section, you're trying to appeal to a group of people. I mean it's the audience section after all. You're trying to find out 
Who are they? What do they already know? What are they interested in? What moves them? The message itself is logical. So that part has been taken care of. You know, what you are arguing and um, the facts behind your argument. But what does the audience want to hear? What, they are, what, what are they prepared to hear or read? What is it that will engage them more? You can have all of the facts and logic on your side, but if the audience isn't prepared to hear them, those facts and, and logical arguments will probably fall away. So pathos, emotion, but it's not as clear as happy, sad, or uh, confident or something. It's what does the audience, where's the audience's heart? Because you're appealing to their mind with the argument itself. You're appealing to their sense of, for lack of a better term, character through your ability as a speaker and writer. But what is it that they already believe and how can you reinforce those beliefs or what do they fear or what do they like or whatever emotion you want to put in place. That's part of the audience section. We call that pathos. So we have those three sections and they all appeal or they all connect to the three different parts of the rhetorical triangle, logos and logic with subject and message, ethos with or credibility with speaker or writer, and then pathos or emotion with the audience or the listeners. So we're not designing a brand new triangle. We're not, we're not putting new shapes. We're just adding things that are already present on the triangle. And so in, in addition to this, we have to add, uh, it's not really a section, it's not a vertice, it's sort of, if you had to put it somewhere, per, perhaps it'd be in the middle of the triangle. And that's the idea of purpose. We sometimes say aim or intention, but it's different from message. If message is what is being said, and of course, speaker is who is saying it, and audience is who is listening or who is who is the intended target. Purpose is what does the piece try and do? And I know it's it sounds like that's message. You say, well, well wait a minute, isn't message what the piece is trying to do? No, message is what is the piece trying to say. Purpose is what is the piece trying to do. And I know that again, that sounds like it's the same thing. Purpose is best understood as uh, a verb in the infinitive. For instance, to persuade, to argue, to convince, to teach, to amuse, to inform, and on and on and on. Because I can write my, let's say, report on airplanes. Let's say that's my message, that... that I have some sort of technical paper on, on airplane safety. That's my message. But what am I trying to do with that message? Am I simply trying to inform an audience, this is the current statistics on airplane safety? Am I trying to argue a position? We need to take airplane safety more seriously. Am I trying to uh, amuse the audience? Am I writing a humorous article about the time that my plane was in distress and, and whatnot? So... The message is not the same as the purpose. The purpose is what do we hope to accomplish? Or what does that speaker hope to accomplish with that message on those people? So in that sense, it connects to all three vertices, which is why we put it in the center. 
Um, if you're having trouble with purpose, which we'll do later, by the way, but you can begin with the very, very basics of purpose and use the acronym PIE, P-I-E, where we have three purposes there. Persuade, inform, entertain. Now, that's just a very basic beginning, but surprisingly, that does cover an awful lot of ground. So now you have your triangle. You have your three vertices with um, a message and logos and speaker and ethos and audience and pathos and then you have in the center purpose or intention and i want you to imagine all around it you have what we might call context or situation okay exigence would be the other way to look at this but um and a third word might be occasion as in what caused this thing, whatever this is, the speech, this piece of writing, what caused this thing to be created? I want you to be very careful with this because we want to stay away from the question, why was it written? Because that gets confused with purpose. We mean what caused its creation, what spurred, if it's a written piece, what spurred the writer to put pen to paper? And even in occasion, we have two separate types. We have sort of a, an immediate occasion. We have a more long-term occasion. We'll get to those a little bit later. Okay. We also have context in this area. Uh, in, in what sort of circumstance does this piece exist? And that can be all sorts of things. Time period. Um, the, um, the, the sort of audience. I mean, an audience exists in a context. When are they? Where are they? And things like that. So that's all part of the triangle, but it's sort of all around it. It's like if you imagine that the triangle <laughs> is a little piece of cereal and your milk uh, and the three edges are the three edges we've talked about in the center, a little filling there is the purpose. The milk itself is the context because the cereal piece, the little triangular piece of cereal can exist in water or milk, or I suppose it could exist in soda if you're a sort of a strange breakfast person. But that is where does this thing exist? Now, we'll get into those things a little bit later uh, when we get into a, um, a strategy we call soapstone that deals with all with a lot of these parts of the triangle. But that's a more advanced version of the triangle where we have the three vertices and each vertice has really two things in it. We have the center, which is purpose or aim or intention. And then we have all around it uh, context, occasion, exigence, the circumstances under which this was written. So an awful lot to get through, but we'll break down these other things in further assignments.